Thank you, Parker, for reading. And you're taller than me, so hang on. Um, this, this sermon is not about me at all. Um, I just want to take a moment to say that I have a prayer request. Um, my dad is here to visit from China, and him, along with most of my family, are not Christians. So if you, you know, when you pray, think about me and my family, please pray for them for their salvation, for them to come to know Christ. And if you really want to be my friend, and you will tell my dad, Yesu Aini, that's Jesus loves you in Chinese. I, I promise this is not a curse word. You can, you can. Okay, okay, that's it. <clears throat> now, back to uh, the sermon, what Parker has read so masterfully. Uh, as um, Pastor Matt has said, uh, today is Monday, Thursday uh, of the Holy Week. Uh, Monday, Thursday uh, means New Command Thursday. Uh, which is uh, when Jesus gave the new command to his disciples to love each other. He does this, uh, demonstrates this through the Lord's Supper. He does this through the washing of uh, disciples' feet, which we'll look into here. But something you might say, well, that's not really a new command. Jesus had told us to love uh, our enemies, to love our neighbors before this. And you're right, you're exactly right. However, what's new here is not the content of that command. It is the you might say the standard or the uh, degree to which Jesus demonstrates it and that he sets a new standard for what it means to love others. So what, what, is, his, what is he doing then in this passage, in this rich passage that we, can, we cannot possibly uh, talk all of it, but what is he doing here uh, with the disciples? Uh, I want to I show you that what he's doing is he's showing, oh, I'm sorry, he's preparing the disciples for his cross through demonstration of his love. He's preparing for them for the darkest week or the days of their lives. The days are coming when their Lord and Master will be crucified. Their faith will be shaken. One of them will betray him, and one of them will deny him three times. The coming week is hard for Jesus. But even then, he's thinking about his disciples, thinking it's going to be hard for you guys. So what he's doing is he's preparing them for his own cross, for his own death, before he goes to the cross. He's preparing them for this demonstration. Uh, of, of, of love here through the uh, feet washing. And in the same way, I want to show you that nothing can help you through the ups and downs of your life except the unending love of Christ. That nothing can help you through your life, the ups and downs of your life, except that Jesus' unending love for you. Why is that? Why is so? What, what's so unique about Jesus' love that, that can help you through ups and downs of life? First, Jesus' love for you is inexhaustible. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing from you or circumstances or nothing in history or in the future can exhaust his love. So notice in verse 1, John sets up the account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet with the comment that Jesus had loved the disciples all of his life, all along, and he loved them to the end. The phrase to the end here uh, actually have two distinct but also complementary meanings. One is to say that Jesus' love is never-ending. But his, his love has, has no beginning, has no ending, just like him himself. So there's no ending to his love. He loved them to the end. He loved them to, to the end of his earthly life on the cross. He loved them to the end, even now, until eternity. The whole life of Jesus, as you might think, can be marked by love. Everything he's done was out of love. He's preaching. He's healing. He's touching the leper. Everything he's done is out of love. And the second meaning of that, of that phrase, to the end, means to the uttermost degree. Not simply that Jesus' love, you might say, is long. His love is also deep. He is, his love has infinite depth. 
And this is another way of saying what Paul says in Ephesians 3, 18, where he says, he prays for his uh, hearers and readers that they will be rooted in love and power so they might understand how wide, how long, how high is Christ's love. Have you ever stood on a seashore and look out into the ocean? Every direction you look, you can't see the end of the ocean, no matter how far you look. If you stand, you know, on a real, at a real ocean, it's so, so vast, so vast that our human eyes can't, can't see the end of it. And if you've ever had the chance to dive into the ocean, you know that you can't see the bottom of the ocean. It's so deep that you can't possibly see to, to, to the bottom of it. But even ocean, as wide, as long, as deep as it is, has its limit. But Jesus' love doesn't. His love, you might say, burst the bounds of the cosmos. His love is so wide and so unending and so inexhaustible that no, nothing, that nothing can, you might say, empty the water of that love, that, of that ocean of love. I want to be uh, practical here before we go to our second point. What, is, what does this mean to you? What does this mean to your life if you know Jesus' love inexhaustible? Two things. One is that if you are going through suffering or you have faced suffering before, one of the things that can happen to you if you're a Christian is you think, well, uh, I'm going through this because I'm being punished for something I've done. I must have done something wrong this past year, 10 years ago, two hours ago, that this thing happened to me. But if you know Jesus' love for you, if you know that he did not abandon you even on the cross, you know his love is so inexhaustible that nothing can change that love for you, then you know that everything that happens to you, including suffering, cannot be a punishment. Nothing can happen to you that's a punishment. Suffering can be opportunity for growth and grace and maturity, but can never, ever, because he wants to punish you. A second thing, though, uh, knowing Jesus' inexhaustible love for you is that actually helps you to become more like Jesus, you might say, to face your sin. Um, you know, you can never really, really face the darkest parts of your heart if you don't know Jesus loves you. you. You can never really face the worst part of your heart unless you know that no matter what he finds there, he's not going to leave you. You know, with interpersonal relationships, there are, also, there are often times where you think, well, if that person knows that about me, they definitely will not want to be my friend. And there's always a limit to human love, but to, in Christ, you don't have that limit. No matter what you find in your heart, you can face it. You can face it knowing that he loves you, he wants you to become like him, and that he loves you to the end. So Jesus' love can help you through the ups and downs of your life because his love, love is inexhaustible, but also because his love is inc- unconditional, and nothing can turn away his love. Uh, one of the threads, as you might pick up uh, through this whole um, passage, is a, is a stark contrast. What's that contrast? The contrast is between Jesus' love and Judah's betrayal. Uh, constantly, we're reminded in the beginning, verse 2, John says that during supper, Satan entered uh, Judas's heart. And then Jesus himself later on says in verse 11 and 18 that not, not all of you are clean. One of you will betray me. So there is um, a contrast here. We talk, we talk about Jesus' love, and then there's also a very, very dark, you might say, undercurrent through this passage. But notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, well, one of you will betray me. I know who it is. Let me tell you who it is. I'm not going to wash that person's feet and everybody else. I can wash your feet. No, he actually washed everybody's feet, including Judas, including Peter, who you know will later on deny him three times, uh, as Peter does. But you notice that if you look at the group of Jesus' disciples, you not only have Judas and Peter, you have uh, Thomas, uh, we call him Doubting Thomas, who would not believe Jesus rose from the dead until he actually put his hands in his wounds, his hands on his side. 
and you have Matthew, who was a tax collector. As you remember, um, they're one of the most hated people uh, on the planet at that time because they were Jews who often worked with Romans to tax their own people uh, really, really uh, badly, too. So if you look at a group of Jesus', uh, Jesus disciples, he did not pick out the best people. He did not pick the people who put, have their life put together. He did, not, he did not pick the top of the class. He did not pick the cream of the crop. He picked those who people around him would look at him and say, well, I don't want to be around that person, but Jesus does. Therefore, his love to you, towards you, if you hear him, is unconditional. Nothing in you can, um, can turn his love away. And I want, I want to say to you that all of us, Christians, non-Christians alike, really want un- unconditional love. If, if you're really honest, you want that. Uh, there's a song, I know you're going to laugh, but uh, Ingrid Michaelson has a song called Everybody. You know, it's very catchy. Here she says, We have fallen down again tonight. In this world, it's hard to get it right. Trying to make your heart fit like a glove. What it needs is love, love, love. Everybody, everybody wants to love. Everybody, everybody wants to be loved. It might be a funny song, but it's true. Everybody, regardless of uh, who you are, wants to be, want to be loved. And if you're not a Christian, I want to say, don't you even at least want this to be true? Don't you even at least want something out there? That, uh, there's a love out there that never runs dry. Don't you at least want that to be true, even if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, even if you don't believe he died for you? But don't you at least want that? Don't you, don't you think that's wonderful if that was true? Um, so Jesus' love can help you through the ups and downs of your life because his love is uh, inexhaustible, and also his love is inc- unconditional. But lastly... His love for you is self-sacrificial. Um, one thing that um, is kind of odd about this uh, that I didn't mention as uh, Parker was reading, I don't know if you pick up. It's kind of interesting because right after this passage, Jesus will be teaching, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus will be going to the high priestly prayer. He'll be teaching about him being the way and li- uh, the truth and the life, and then he'll be going to the cross. You would think that the last few hours of somebody's life, they will be doing something way more important, doing the teaching doing, you know, all the things, the last words, then washing feet. And you know that the washing of feet is one of the most menial tasks that uh, people at that world do, and is reserved for the lowest, the lowest of slaves. It's not even uh, regular servants don't do that. The lowest of the lowest do that. So why would Jesus be doing this at the end of his life? Why not, you know, have three more hours of lecture to his disciples? The answer is he's not doing anything different he's doing here than he's doing on the cross. What he accomplished on the cross he symbolizes here with his actions. There are, two, there are two things I want to draw your attention to that the cross accomplishes and the, uh, the feet washing symbolizes. The first thing is love through sacrifice. Uh, as we have mentioned, the, the lowest of um, the, wor- the work of a, a servant at that time is feet washing. But Jesus here says in the passage that I am your Lord and, and teacher. He says, I am that. But me, your Lord and teacher, is willing to strip myself to bend down to wash your feet. And that he, he's willing to humble himself. He's willing to sacrifice himself to love. And is it not what he did on the cross? On the cross, he literally sacrificed not just his dignity by bending down, not just his uh, reputation. He sacrificed his life. He sacrificed all of him so that you might uh, be brought to God. Uh, and he, he did that willingly. He didn't, that, he didn't do that reluctant. No one force him to do it. He did that willingly. He went to the cross willingly, just like he did washing, washing the feet of disciples. Um, and this is, um, I want to say a word here, pause before we go, is uh, that this has implications for Christians, how we live today. 
uh, because it gives us a different view of power that uh, in the ancient world wasn't true, in where I'm from, in China isn't true, uh, here isn't true. Uh, we usually think of power as something that we can get so that we can uh, make things to go our way. And that's really you know, a lot of behind what, uh, what we hear in the culture is, I need to shout you down in order for me to have power to get things done. But what Jesus says here, I am the most powerful person in the universe. I am actually your creator and your savior. Yet in my, uh, in my way of using power is using that to serve you, to wash your feet. My way of using power is to die for you on the cross. So if you're a Christian, then it's, a, it's an important time for us to examine us. Do we live like that? Do we see power like that? Do we, if you're in power, in any kind of power, even if you're a project manager or you are a a legislator, any kind of power, if you're in a position of power, do you use power to serve those under you and around you, or do you use power to actually try to get your agenda uh, done? Um, so that's, I want to, quick aside here. And the second thing, the second thing that the feet washing symbolizes and the cross accomplishes, of course, is spiritual cleansing through substitution. Here you notice Jesus says that um, if, you, if, you, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. He's saying basically that what he's doing here is in action, in symbols, picture what happens on the cross, which is if Jesus does not die for you, if he does not put his blood on you, then you cannot be cleansed of the spiritual dirt, you might say that symbolized uh, by the dirt of your feet, on your feet. That the only way you can be clean, not externally, but internally, your heart can be clean, your heart can be open even to love others, is for him to die for you in love. But that's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is spiritual cleansing through substitution. And the gospel is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the gospel is Jesus demonstrating, uh, humbling himself to, uh, to love you even though uh, we don't deserve it. Um, so the gospel is, you know, if it, the, one of some of the classic summaries of the gospel is the gospel is him, Jesus coming to take on himself the sin uh, of us, therefore him humbling himself. Uh, the gospel is also Jesus cleansing us from our spiritual uh, defilement, you might say, through his blood, which is uh, the cleansing. And so that's why what Jesus does here is what actually uh, symbolizes here is what he does on the cross. Um, I want to close this uh, with a poem that I'll read slowly because it's really, uh, it's quite moving. It's called uh, Love Lusters at Calvary. It's from the Valley Vision, uh, which is a great book if you ever uh, read that one. This is only part of the poem. Here's a, what it says. It says, My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes, groaned that I might have endless song, endured all pain that I might have, that my, I have, that I might have unfading health, pardon me, born a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem, bow his head that I might uplift mine, experience reproach that I might receive welcome, Close his eyes in death, that I might gaze on unclouded brightness, expire, that I might forever live. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for your demonstration of love in washing the feet of the disciples, and thank you for the ultimate demonstration of love on the cross in you dying for us in our place. Let us hear, uh, see, and taste your love so that we may turn and love others. In Jesus' name, amen.